Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Dialogue on Divorce. I'm Catherine Miller, the host of this show, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce in New York. I'm very happy to welcome today Judge Sandra Miller. Judge Miller is a legend, really, in matrimonial circles, uh, divorce circles, and family circles in New York, at least in the New York bar. Judge Miller was appointed to the appellate division by Mario Cuomo, I believe, in 1990. And before that, she was a Supreme Court judge. And before that, even a family court judge. And is currently chief counsel to McCarthy Finger and head of the Mediation and Arbitration Department. Welcome, Judge Miller. I'm so thrilled to have you today. I'm so happy to be here with you, Catherine, and on your mission to assist people who are going through the difficult times of divorce and separation. Thank you. And I thought today we'd talk a little bit about uh, children and, and divorce and, and your experiences, because another thing that I didn't mention, and frankly, I could have taken the entire show just talking about the qualifications you have to talk on this subject, but I thought that would maybe be the best use of our time. But I know that you were also commissioned by Judge Kay to go around New York State and a few years ago and sort of survey and report back on the state of matrimonial law in New York. So I think you're really an expert on pros and cons of various uh, process choices and various aspects of divorce for people in New York. But before we talk about that, with all of the election stuff swirling around here, you and I talked a little bit before the show about the importance of local elections. And I wonder if you could share some of your insight about that with our listeners. Yes, thank you so much, Catherine, and thank you for the wonderful, wonderful introduction you have provided me with. That commission, which was a very important one in my life, unfortunately, not everything we have recommended has come to pass, but I'm proud to say no fault divorce was a success, largely in in regard to our efforts, so I'm proud to say that. But anyway, let's talk a minute today with your audience about the enormous importance of whom we elect as judges. Now, we're all, we are all overloaded with all, all of the campaign issues that are going on on the national level, all of the TV and all of the, yes. the media and all of that. But I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about your local elections, your audience's local elections, and they're going to be required to determine when they go to the polls who to elect for different judicial positions. This time for the Supreme Court, which is, as I can inform them if they don't know, the Supreme Court of the state in New York is the highest trial court. And it's the court where divorces and custody are largely determined, though, of course, custody is also determined to some extent in the family court. But because the judge and Catherine and I both agree that the best thing we can do for families and children is keep them out of the court system and help them resolve their issues in collaborative law, mediation, arbitration, but out of the court system. But sometimes they wind up in the court system. And so they go before a judge. And and the, and the, the populace who goes to the election polls looks at the ballots and says, well, there's a bunch of judges here. I don't know anything about them. Now, it's so important, and I'm a 
looking now at a list of judges who are all running, hope to be running for the Supreme Court in the state of New York. And I am familiar with some of them. And I would like our audience to become familiar with the qualifications of these various judges who are running for office. And so how do you do that? You will be getting, people will be getting mailings from a lot of these judges. It's important to read them. It's important to think about them. It's important to evaluate the things that they are telling you in them as to what their background is, what their education is, and what their interests are. And to notice that because many, many of us who go to the polls just pick, oh, they pick the candidate who has the, who's either a Democrat if you're a Democrat or a Republican if you're a Republican and don't know anything else. Sometimes, oh, if it's a woman and you're a woman, you want to vote for a woman. Sometimes it's a name that has some name recognition in your mind, but it's not with any real in-depth consideration. Or people just don't vote for judges. They're just like, oh, I don't know anything about that. Skip it. That's right. That's right. So they they do that. Now, judges, there are, you know, there are wonderful organizations that do provide information about judges like the League of Women Voters. But mainly, unfortunately, and it's necessary for judges to really campaign. And I've done it. I have had the experience of running for election and being appointed to the court. So I know the difference between the two systems. But I know how important it was for me. And I was not very political. In fact, I was not political at all when I started in this this venture to become a judge. But it was wonderful for me to go around the counties and learn to know some of my constituents. And I think it was important for them. And so if you do see someone out there campaigning or you do get a piece of literature and the newspapers will report some valuable information about the different judicial candidates, consider that. Because consider how important it is when you, unfortunately, may have to go to court and appear before that person in a black robe and you want that person to have the qualifications that a judge should have, such as being prepared, being informed as to the law, being considerate, and being sensitive to the needs of your children and your family. You would want that person to be concerned about the results of your situation and of resolving it. And it's very, very important to look at the qualifications of that person. So I would urge everybody who is going to go to those polls and to look at the look at the information, get as much information, absorb as much as you can about the various candidates, because that is extremely, extremely important. It's one of those things that could seem like it doesn't matter until it does matter, right? So you're not That's you're going right. along, living your life. It doesn't make any difference who the judges are. I'm never going to see them. Then whammo, you or someone you know and care about is right. really their future is in the judge's hands. And it's very unusual for a jury to make a decision in a divorce, and certainly not in a custody situation. It doesn't happen, right? right? It's going to be the judge making the decision. It's ironic. I remember when I was campaigning, and we had these meetings of the candidates, and you may be invited to go to some of the meetings of the candidates. And when it came to the judges, we were the last one called upon. We said, really, if someone had been running for door catcher, 
<laughs> they may have come after us or before, we wouldn't be sure. Yeah. But judges are not given a great deal of opportunity to speak with you. So it's very important for you to pay attention. So thank you so much for that. And I think it's a great segue, Judge Sandra Miller, for our conversation about children and divorce. And really, it's children and divorce that made me go on my mission to change how people divorce because it's such a, I did uh, 10 years of child welfare litigation in the New York City family courts. And that combined with the experience of my clients with children getting divorced and my own experience getting divorced with children really convinced me that the courtroom is a very bad place for children and for families in general. And, you know, I'd like to talk to you about that and about your experiences with that and maybe some insight as to what it's like for families and some maybe then we could move on and talk about some ways to avoid that. Yes. Well, of course, it is very, very traumatic for people who are going through not only the personal anguish of their own difficulty, separation, divorce, hostilities, the resentment, and to be concerned about their children. And it's terribly difficult for children. As we all know, it's hard for them to believe their parents are getting divorced. They don't want to feel it taking sides and their lives are being torn apart. So that as important as the role of the judge is, there's only so much the judge can do. What we hope to do, and Catherine is really the person that I have to credit for all that she's done in this area. In fact, I did my mediation training with Catherine, and and certainly the way to go, the best way to go for people who are dealing with the, the difficulties of separation and divorce is out of the court system, is to go for a process that is much more humane, much more intelligent, and much more understanding of their needs. And that could be either in a collaborative law arrangement, which Catherine can tell you all about. As can you. Yes, I can too. I mean, it's a it's a non-adversarial method where the parties attempt to resolve their difficulties with the help of attorneys and with the help of other professionals. And they make an agreement that they will work together to resolve these issues as closely and intensely as they can. Should they fail in this arrangement, then the attorneys who are retained by the parties in this process have agreed that they will not litigate, they will not go to court on behalf of the parties, so that as a result, the attorneys who are involved in the collaborative process are enormously motivated. They are motivated anyway to help their clients, but even more motivated in the collaborative process because they know that if they don't achieve their goal, they will not be able to assist the parties in terminating or concluding their disagreement. So collaborative law is a very, very, very helpful and useful process for some people. So let me just interrupt you one second, one second, and remind people. and, And ways of dealing with these situations, and one that I believe is wonderfully helpful when it works is mediation. And that's where the parties determine that they will both involve themselves and devote themselves to the mediation process. And they, usually with the help of attorneys, but not always, will determine which mediator 
to choose. And that mediator should be a person who is very familiar with the law in regard to the issues of divorce and custody and separation and who who the parties believe can be fair and understanding. And in the mediation process, if they have attorneys, they will attempt to work out with the attorneys to guide them through this process the issues that they have to deal with, both financial and personal and custody. And they may, in both the collaborative process and in the mediation process, call upon other professionals to be helpful financial experts, and sometimes mental health experts. And these processes, when they do succeed, are such a far cry, such a better way of people resolving their issues. We look at the differences, of, and there's a wonderful, wonderful, and you know Catherine is aware of this, a wonderful process that's been developed out in Denver at the university. I'm sure you're familiar with yes. that, Catherine. Yeah. And that's where the university and the community have collaborated. And in terms of dealing with these issues outside of the court system. And what I was just reading their most recent report, the results in terms of the evaluations of people who have gone through this is the reduction in trauma, the reduction in the negative effects of trauma, such as less problems with children in school less problems with addiction, less problems with suicidal inclinations. A better adaptability. Things are lessened when the parties deal with their problems in an intelligent and cooperative way. And this is not always possible for everybody. So Uh, the people who are fortunate enough to be able to invest in this process will benefit from it. Yes. So let's talk about that a little bit. And I just want to remind our listeners that this is Dialogue on Divorce, and I'm Catherine Miller. I'm talking with the Honorable Sandra Miller, and we're talking about the divorce process, and particularly it's staying out of court. And, you know, sometimes I think, Judge Miller, that people feel that the court will protect them, you know, that they can't trust or they need, you know, some kind of formal process in order to make sure that they're treated fairly or well or somehow better than they would be in an alternative process outside of court and collaborative or mediation or some other kind of negotiated settlement. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I think that that is a misconception (laughs) Uh, because if the parties are choosing between, say, they have a choice between a competent judge, a good judge, and not all judges are great, but there are some very, very good judges. But let's assume that their choice is between a competent, caring judge or the other system, where they go to a mediator or into the collaborative process with attorneys that they have confidence in, and they avoid the litigation process. First of all, they are going to bear themselves the angst and the tension of waiting to be heard, of papers that have to be prepared, of discovery motions, and the cost of litigation is so substantial that I have seen where it has literally wiped out Mm. the savings of families, wiped out the bank accounts, the savings accounts that they have accumulated in order to try to send their kids to college, college funds, wiped out all these things in an effort to resolve their difficulties in court. That should not happen. No, that's not, doesn't sound protecting. 
It doesn't sound protective to be left penniless because you were unable to resolve disputes. I just I missed what you had to say. I said it, it doesn't sound, you know, when people choose to litigate because they feel that they need that kind of protection, that the cost of taking that path really is destructive. That's what you're talking about. It wipes people's ability to live the life that they chose, that they wanted to live and to provide the education for the children that they wanted. It just wipes it away. That's right. And not only that, there is no real protection. Now, you know, there are circumstances where, unfortunately, there are issues such as domestic violence. Sure. Now, if we have a situation like that, people do need protection. And that may not be people who are suffering or or any party who is suffering from domestic violence in a personal relationship probably does have to go to court because those issues are really not appropriate for mediation because of the power imbalance between the parties. Completely agree. In those rare cases, in those rare cases, now there are all kinds of domestic violence. Some people consider when someone raises their voice, that can be domestic violence. That's not, in, in, in my view, domestic violence. Domestic violence is serious. It puts a person in danger emotionally and physically of severe, severe damage, and the children too. And those are the cases that should not go into any of these processes other than into the courts. And there's where you need the judge and the system to protect you. But this idea that you said earlier that it was a mistake to think that the court would otherwise provide protection, can you talk a little bit more about that, Judge Miller? Well, the the court is not in a position today-to-day provide you with protection. In order to get to see the judge, it's rather difficult. You have to go through the process. You can't just make motions. You have to get permission to make motions. Everything takes time. I have been involved in a few litigations, and I try not to get involved in too many, where I have spent many hours with my clients and the other lawyers and sitting outside the courtroom just waiting to be heard. Yeah. And so that's not really giving you protection if you are dealing in mediation. If you're dealing in a collaborative law process, you can be heard in a much more reasonable, much more appropriate way than in the court system. Yeah, I think that most people don't realize that 97% of divorces in New York settle before a judge hands down a decision after a trial, which basically means that people are going to decide their own futures. The question is how and at what cost? Right. Because right. if if you decide, oh, I just can't take this anymore. So I'll sign anything. Just let me be done. Right. I can't pay. I can't take it. It Just let the pain be over. That's not a great way to settle any important decision in your life. No, that's absolutely true. And in terms of custody, I know you've seen it and I've seen it, Catherine, where the court makes a custody determination and that custody determination doesn't work. And the child really walks walks from one, one, one parent to another at grave danger and, and risk. And because the courts are not in a position, really, to deal with these issues on the day-to-day basis and on the intimate basis that a mediation or a collaborative law situation can. So that any person who can evaluate the risks and the opportunities and the advantages of the system should try, if at all possible, to avoid going to the courts. 
Thank you. This is, and I say yeah. that as one who spent 21 years in the court system. I was just going to ask you about that, Judge Miller. Yes. I was going to say, you know, in in the time we have left on dialogue on divorce, maybe you could talk with us a little bit about how, as a judge, you make a decision about custody or or visitation or something like that. That's yes. so hard to do when you know so little about the family. Well, the judge tries to learn as much as possible, and all judges who are concerned do. And we hear from the parties, and we hear from counsel, and we hear from the attorneys for children, and we hear from forensics. And there's a lot of discussion about the role of forensics in these cases and the cost of forensics in these cases. And so, you know, the judge does try and does try to make a reasonable and a compassionate decision. But the judge's information is limited to what? And, you know, there are some attorneys who are much better advocates than others. And so that party is an advantage. And there are some attorneys for children who are wonderful in protecting them and others who are not. So it's a a system where the chance you take and when you enter into a process of mediation or collaborative law, you can deal on a much more day-to-day, much more personal level with the attorney or the attorney or the mediator that you have chosen. And I think that the comfort level of what you will be involved in is so much greater that there is no question if you are a candidate for any of those other processes, you will be much better served. So by As to the rest of my life, I mean, yeah, I spent many years, 15 years in the appellate court. And I will tell you, that's what happens when you get a decision from the trial court that you don't like. Right. That you think is unfair. So your choice then is to appeal it. And that is a very expensive process. And, and takes a long time. Takes a long time. Yeah. And then you may not be thrilled with the decision you get from the appellate court. So that the idea of that you're going to yeah. somehow get justice in the court system really is not likely, given no. the the life no. that you need to lead, and no. for your kids. And even if you win, even yeah. at the end of this process, even if you win, let's assume you go up to the appellate court, and the appellate court says, "Yes, I believe Miss Mrs. or Mister or Miss So and So, the the judge below was wrong, and you should have custody of the child." Let's assume that's the issue. Well, you should get more of the property in this, in this uh, marital estate. By that time, so much damage has been done and so much money has been spent that it is sometimes what we call a pyrrhic victory. Yeah, an old colleague of mine has said many, many times that there are no winners in divorces and in divorce litigation. It's just, right. it's just, just right. how did you lose? And how did your children lose because of the, of the pain and the distraction right. and the hijacking? Right. You know, it occurs to me that we might point out that although both of our last names are Miller, we're not related. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to be clear about that. And I just want to circle back just for one minute and talk a little bit about when you said forensics, you know, that talk a little bit about what that is. You know, what is the evidence that a forensic psychologist or psychiatrist gives the court and how does that work? Well, that's a very interesting question because I have just joined the committee that determines the qualifications of forensics. And I'm going back to Brooklyn and Catherine <laughs> to participate in that. But the forensic is appointed as an expert by the court to evaluate the emotional state of the parties and the children and to provide the court with information 
that would be helpful to the court in making a determination. Whether or not that forensic, who is either a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a mental or a uh, mental health professional, a, a certified mental health professional, whether that forensic is one of those things, we'll write a report and we'll have taken notes, we'll have met with the parties and with the children and sometimes with others, and we'll write a report uh, giving that forensic's opinion as to the uh, different qualifications and characteristics of the parties and the needs of the children, et cetera, et cetera. And those, uh, that opinion, those, that forensic's opinion is then available to the counsel for the parties and for the parties to review it. At this particular point, the parties are not allowed to have a copy of that report. But there is, I'm sure you're aware, Catherine, legislation that is pending that I am very much opposed to, which would give all the parties, uh, including the non-represented parties, but all the parties, a copy of that report. So thank, I have to and, cut you off there because we're, we're running out of time. Good. Judge Miller, yeah. thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your comments today. I wish we had more time to finish that thought. Very good. It was wonderful being with you, even on the phone. Thank you. Likewise. Okay.